for leading us this morning. Amen. For those of you who don't know, uh, my name's um, Brian Beamant. I'm the lead pastor here, excited for God's word. And um, at the very beginning of this message, I, I just want you to process with me. And, um, you know, we, there, there are sort of, sort of two things kind of represented for this message by the two hands that God's given you. And um, when you came in here this morning, uh, on one hand, um, I want to ask you the question, even already right now in worship, just, just these, this worship set alone, um, what are some things that, that, that have been reassured into your life about who God is? Maybe it was God as our refuge. Maybe it was uh, the, the sense of not wanting to miss a moment with God. And, and maybe it was this reality that there's such a thin line between heaven and earth and that God wants to meet us in that space. So on one hand, you've got this reality of, of, of who God is and there's some things that I'm certain out of even our singing these songs that you would praise God for, right? You got some things? So in this hand, we hold this and we come into worship. In the other hand, I want you to ask the question right at the beginning of this message, what are you struggling with? What are you working through in your life that is that is sort of got some heaviness to it, or it's difficult, or it's causing some sense of distress? And I want to remind us from the very beginning that in worship, both corporately gathered together and privately, God wants you to bring your brokenness and struggle to him in the same way he wants your other hand to take hold of by faith the reality of who God is and his character and his word and his will and his ways. And he wants you in worship to bring this to bear on, like the song uh, uh, just uh, uh, led us to sort of wash over the reality of your life and my life. And, and, and as we walk through this message, God wants to show you how to pour the truth of who he is in his word over the struggle and the heavy thing that you carry right now and more consistently in all parts of your life. So get your Bibles open to John chapter 14 if you're not already there. Four verses, read it with me. Let not your hearts be troubled. There it is. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Verse 1 is an introduction to the section from, um, from uh, John 14, 1 through 14, all the way through that passage, this verse is sort of an introduction to that. There are three messages in, three messages in this section, and the main idea is this, that God wants to give counsel to your troubled heart. So we, we're not supposed to hide our troubles. We're we're not supposed to act like it's better than it is. God wants you to bring your troubled heart to him, and he wants to counsel you in that. 
I'm really thankful for, for human counselors in my life. I'm thankful for the counsel I've received to, to help me and, and guide me in my relationship with God, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my role as a pastor. I need counsel. I need lots of counseling. Okay, that would have been a really good spot for an amen. But, but some of you understandably maybe didn't want that to be misinterpreted if you were the first one to say amen. But listen, listen, listen. I, I want to lead and I want our church to be led by people in roles that we, we, we assign this title of pastor that are, that, are, that are the first ones at the front of the counseling line. Going, we need it. We need it. But, but listen, no human counsel compares to receiving counsel from God. None. To, to come before the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and actually the best human counselors have sort of led me directly to, to, to God's counsel. They've been like, listen, listen, I can share with you some perspective. I can maybe highlight something for you that maybe you're missing about, about what God says in his word. I can draw you back to something that maybe you've forgotten or, or need to apply more deeply to your life. But they're always, the, the best counselors are always leading me back to, to God and his word, Right? It's clear from this passage, though, that God counsels our troubled hearts, so bring them to this part of God's word. So I'm encouraging you, bring it to this section. The disciples in this context had reason to be troubled in their hearts. Like Jesus just told them that he was going to go where they could not follow. They'd left behind everything to follow Jesus, and now he's like, you can't, you can't go where I'm following. Think about the ramifications of that. It would have been shocking. They, they didn't fully understand, not at this point. They were confused now. They're, they're facing an unknown future. Their, the direction that they thought they were headed was changing in a way that they didn't anticipate. Isn't, isn't that the same exact themes that lead us to a troubled heart? Those same exact themes. The response of Jesus is loving and honest and bold. He sees their troubled heart and he speaks over it. He says, he says he's, not, he's not rebuking them for having trouble in their hearts. He's not saying don't have trouble. He's saying let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let it continue. And then he, he gives them a direction to go. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. What he's doing is he's calling them to believe rightly. Now believe here, this word is not the same word that you see in other places in Scripture that's talking about that initial point when you, when you put your faith in Jesus, the sort of a belief in faith that, that is saving faith that sort of starts a relationship with Jesus. No, this belief, this idea of believe, refers to a consistent, active state of trusting in God, a faithfulness to turn to Jesus. See, see, the first move that sort of lays over this entire passage is this, reestablish your trust in Jesus. And the next three messages are going to call you to this. It's Christ's counsel for a troubled heart. And so the big idea for this message now, this specific piece of that bigger counsel, is that Christ has prepared his people a permanent place in his presence. I know, a lot of P's. It's so you'd remember it, so it would, it would stick on your heart and your mind because you need this. Because in this world, in this life, you're going to face trouble. Christ has prepared his people a permanent place in his presence. 
the first move in this counsel for a troubled heart is for God to communicate to his people. Listen, listen, your future is secure. Your future is secure. To see this clearly, as I walk through this passage, what I'm going to do is I'm going to first deal with a, a flawed teaching that I think clouds our perspective on what Jesus is teaching us in this passage. And then I'm going to talk to you about three kind of parts of of Jesus' counsel for us when we have a troubled heart. So, so first, we've got to address the common but flawed teaching that can cause confusion. Who's been taught in your past exposure to church and God's word, who's been taught that in heaven you're going to get a mansion? Anybody can raise your hand, honestly. See, like I, as I talked to people out this week, it was like, it, there, it it was beyond generations. It was young and old and all sorts of different backgrounds. And uh, how many of you then have been taught that your faithfulness to God is going to determine the size of the mansion you're going to receive? Anybody? Right? So you're kind of like, sweet, man. If I, if I can rock it in this world, in this life, man, my, my square footage is just growing. Like the acreage is getting bigger. And like my, man, the quality of my kitchen is going to be ridiculous. It's really popular. There's songs about it that honestly have kind of always made me nauseous. So I was kind of excited for this passage. As I started to research it, I realized what I had um, discerned to be true is that this mansion thing has distracted the people of God from the point of this passage because it makes the mansion the thing that secures your troubled heart. And that is not true. It's not what the passage is even teaching. If your understanding and hope of heaven is focused on settling into your expansive mansion, I'm sorry, but this is what I'm going to do with that idea. I hope it's not too painful. Because the first move in this sermon is to demolish the mansion. Demolish this idea. First... The mansion idea came, it originates from an incorrect translation of a Greek word, mone. The King James Version and the New King James Version is where this originated from. They translated mone as mansion. And it caused the idea to filter into the church and all sorts of crazy conclusions and songs and all sorts of stuff around it. Translating Monet as mansion is problematic and misleading on many levels. And so what I'm going to do here is I want to give you a sense of why it is so critical that we think deeply about the scriptures. Because not in every place, not in any way, but there are certain places that there are things that we need to make sure we have an understanding of. And it seems to be not right. It might not be. So ask some good questions about it. First, let me just pl- let's, let's consider this together and process through it. First, focusing on Christ as up in heaven with his construction hat on, working with the angels to build you a mansion is kind of absurd. Like, like that doesn't bring peace to my troubled heart. That troubles my heart. He's not the construction manager for my mansion in heaven. Like I don't deserve anything. And Revelation, when it actually talks about uh, what's coming for us, it it talks really clearly about the fact that all of my crowns are going to be laid at his feet, at the feet of Jesus. 
not at the feet of, of, of the entrance to my mansion. And I don't need anything else from Christ. I don't need not one extra thing. He's already given me everything through what he's accomplished. It's finished. The reward of heaven is not my mansion in the future. Christ is my reward. Demolish the mansion. Second, the idea of a mansion, it it communicates a value of our culture, not God's culture. Having a mansion is, is, is an insertion into the biblical story that's a reflection of a culture's focus on promoting wealth and wanting to live isolated from other people. It's not the culture of God's kingdom, not now or in eternity. The culture of God's eternal kingdom is not isolation or promotion of wealth, but intimacy with God and with one another. Eternity is about more than a mansion in heaven. Demolish the mansion. Finally, it's just a poor word choice that can cause you to to focus on mansions instead of what God's revealing here beautifully is that Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy here and he's declaring that I I am in me, in my resurrected body, the, the, the final temple, God's house. In my resurrected body, I have opened up the door for there to be an eternal space to dwell with me. That's good news. There's no biblical evidence for the space here or the rooms to be a physical mansion. True hope and joy and security for your troubled heart comes when you see that Jesus is revealing himself in this passage. G.K. Beale states this, he says so clearly that Jesus' preparation of a place, right in this passage, for his followers refers to the construction of the new temple through his resurrected body. Throughout the Old Testament, you see this picture of God's people gathering in the temple, and then there's going to be this end-time temple, and the end-time temple is Jesus in his resurrected body. It's already here. It's already been offered to his people. I mean, in John 2... In the same gospel, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. (laughs) The temple, this this place, this space has already been established through what Jesus accomplished. Jesus is the glory and hope, not getting a mansion. Demolish the mansion. If... um, I didn't grow up with some of maybe the attachment to some of these words and the way they've played over our hearts or been taught to us. So um, I, I didn't wrestle as much with this, but being sensitive to uh, the people in the room, I, if the demolition of the mansion has caused some sort of disappointment in your heart, then honestly, I think you need to ask a hard question. Maybe a series of hard questions. John Piper challenges us with one. Follow along with this. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Oof. Anything about heaven 
that is constructed in our mind that puts shade on the glory of Jesus needs to be demolished. And so, it's not about mansions, it's about Jesus. He's the temple. The many rooms that it's talking about here are the spaces that through what Jesus has accomplished through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension and eventually fully and completely finished when he returns, that is a revelation that he is the end time temple and we're going to come underneath the glory of Jesus Christ and there's plenty of space for us all to dwell. That's the beautiful picture of what Jesus is talking and pointing towards the fact that he is fulfilling that all biblical realities and prophecy and looking forward is being fulfilled in what he's going to do. So now, on the rubble of the demolished mansion, let's construct a really secure foundation for your troubled heart based on what we can see now clearly that the mansion has crumbled. Three parts to this council that Jesus shows us. First, council part one, place, Christ has set aside a space for you. So, so he, Jesus did all of this that he did in his life and resurrection and, uh, and ascension and his re- eventually his return. He's done all of this to prepare a place for you. Just, just, just let, that, let that just soak into your heart and mind a bit. The, the, the God who is sovereign, who's holy, the God who holds the world in his hands, who sits outside of time, the majestic God who created the entire world and every human in it, past, present, and future. That God prepared a place for you. That's so significant. And this place for you, it's clear the reader, uh, the plain reader of Scripture can see that this place for you can be experienced in this life, but, but, but it's only going to be a taste of what will be fully realized in the next life after Christ returns to conclude this, the craziness of this broken world. In that place with Christ, sin will be no more, no more brokenness or strife or pain or suffering, perfect shalom, peace. Christ has set aside a space for you in eternity, for you, for you. Not because you deserve it, but because of what he's accomplished already. See, your future is already secured. The place has already been prepared. That's powerful counsel to a troubled heart. The antidote to worry in this hand is to take hold of truth by faith and bring it to bear on that trouble. Jesus shared this to minister to your troubled heart. That's why he's like, he's like I went to prepare a place for you and you and you and you and you. Specifically with you on his mind. That's the first part, place. Christ has set aside a space for you. Second, uh, the second part of this council, permanence. Christ will never abandon you. Jesus here is giving them this sort of like detailed a plan for, for what he is going to do. Because he wants to assure them, because he knows the fact that they can't follow him where he's going is causing some troubled hearts. 
Peter's already sort of gone off the deep end and he had to rebuke him. That was last week. And, and you know, what, what Jesus is doing is, is really loving. Because if you're, if you're a parent, uh, if you're a parent of maybe older uh, children, you know that there was that day as a parent, it was a glorious day, when you're able to leave them at home for a little bit for the first time. Oh, joy returns to my heart quickly when I think of that. And, uh, and you get to that moment and they're like, you're, you're not sure, you know, my kids were five. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> um, and you get to that moment and you're like, okay, I think we can make it an hour. I think we can go to the store. And so you sit them down and you're like, okay, kids, listen, here's what's going to happen. The oldest one, I have four kids, so when it was with Ellie and she was old enough, I was like, okay, Ellie, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave. She's like, I got this. You know, it's Eliana. And, um, and, and, and we're like, we're going to go to the store and you just make sure no one kills themselves later and just get out as quick as possible, right? And, and, but but there, was this, there was this assurance of the time we were going to come back and if she needed, you know, in today's world, you could communicate. So we had a way for her to communicate with us and, and she could call us if she needed to and, and we were able to leave and then we returned. And there's such an assurance when that happens because there's a, my daughter knew there was a permanence to our commitment to that. That even if we're, we were going, we, we weren't out, they weren't out of our minds, not in any way that first time. Later on, maybe a little easier. But, but there's this reality of that, that what Jesus is saying here is he's, he's communicating to them, listen, I'm going to go away, but there's a reason. And they don't even know yet of the fact that he's going to send his Holy Spirit to be with them. And, and permanence is the second counsel. Permanence, Christ will never abandon you. He has a redemptive plan to fulfill. And he ascended, and there's a purpose in this church age that still is not completed. Sometimes I don't understand why. But I know his promises are true. And then he's going to return to bring us to our eternal home, our final resting place. He's present and active on our behalf. He's interceding for us right now. He's not abandoning anyone ever. That's a promise. See, permanence is a, is a powerful encouragement to a troubled heart because if we're really to process through the things that you put in this hand, the things that trouble you, one of the things that causes a troubled heart is a lack of permanence. When permanence is at risk or it's lost because change, even good change, there's good change, there's bad change, there's all sorts of change that can happen. So just think about this with me for a moment and it's going to identify some areas of, of, of where your heart is troubled. Th- think about a lack of permanence in location. Just location, the space that we live. How, th- think about how many different homes or, or, or locations you've had in your life. Maybe some of you are like, you know, fortunate to not have many. And some of you could probably share stories of like, like 10, 20 different places or more that you've lived and moved and been in. And Jesus comes in and he's like, listen, the place I have for you in the future is permanent. The final resting place for God's children is eternal. 2 Corinthians 5.1 Paul knew he needed to communicate this to the church. He said, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, that's in that context referring to literally our bodies, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. There goes the mansion again. Eternal in the heavens. 
It's eternal. It's, it's peace to a troubled heart to know that there's going to be a permanence in location. Then, this next one, a lack of permanence in spiritual formation causes an aspect of a troubled heart. Now, this is actually a good thing. Until you die, this is a reality of walking with Christ. Until you die, the Holy Spirit will purposefully trouble your heart to transform you into the likeness of Christ. Some of you have trouble in your hearts because, because the Holy Spirit is like, hey, there's a work I want to do in you and I'm trying to get your attention. The pain you feel, the frustration you feel, the confusion you feel, it, it, even the circumstances are there, created, ordained, being, being manufactured, working, God working in it to bring transformation to you. But we also have the hope to know that on that day, when we die or when Jesus returns, you will be made holy as Christ is holy and there will be no more trouble in regards to spiritual formation. There'll be permanence in your spiritual formation. Sanctification, the process, will be finished. The, the transformation from one degree of glory to another. I know some of you are like, I'm at like 50 degrees and then I go back to 48 and then I go to 51 and then I go to 49 and then it's just like this constant up and down and at that point it will be 100% done, finished, complete. That permanence can bring peace to a troubled heart. And the taste we get of it, of even increasing the degree a little warmer in an area of our life becoming a bit more settled by spiritual formation only gives us more hope and joy towards what God has for us in the future. Then there's a lack of permanence in relationships. So much heart trouble comes from a lack of permanence in relationships. It's a constant struggle. Positive and negative things can create trouble. People born, you're like, yes, and then you're like, whoa, troubled heart as a parent. Uh, people die, and those are tragic realities. Relationships change for, for good reasons and for bad reasons. I mean, think about it. The, the whole concept of marriage is, is encouraged, ordained by God. And then people go into marriage and they're like, I don't know what they expect. I, I know what I expected. And then God had to teach me some things. But, but you go into marriage and marriage actually inherently troubles our hearts because God talks about it. He says you're going to leave the stability of an existing family and then you're going to transfer your loyalty to a new spouse and create a new family. And then if God would bless you, then you're going to add children to the family and you're going to be like, whoa, trouble just increased. Man, I got some, I got some new things to navigate through. And God's, God's like, yeah, remember that spiritual formation part? It's because I'm trying to form you through that. It's always changing. There's no permanence and the change causes trouble in your hearts. Then there's also a lack of permanence in relationships that comes from sin. Sin that breaks down relationships, that leads, to, that leads to betrayal and abandonment and breakups and divorce. Relationships are broken or they end and this lack of permanence troubles our hearts. But listen, Christ, if you come to him fully and completely, he will never abandon you. Christ has he's ascended, but he sent his Holy Spirit, as I alluded to earlier, to dwell in your heart, to counsel and guide you through this short life, and then you will be with him again. There's always permanence in your relationship with Jesus, always. 
You're never alone. You're never isolated. You're never abandoned. It's peace for a troubled heart. Permanence in your relationship with Jesus. That's a powerful encouragement in location, in spiritual formation, in relationships, but in so many other things. But Jesus assures his followers of permanence. Permanence, Christ will never abandon you. Then this final counsel, presence, Christ wants to be with you. One part of this passage, the the part we're going to unpack right here, it uh, just, just deeply, deeply ministered to my heart this week. Look in verse 3. Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Okay, now right there, that would have been enough. It would have been enough. Like, he gives us this assurance of place. He gives us this uh, reality of permanence. And I, I would have been satisfied there. But this next step that Jesus goes is so deeply transforming and securing to a troubled heart, I just can't express it enough. Look what he says. He says, and will take you, so personal, take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Place and permanence are are deeply, deeply encouraging, as I've already explained. But this is the best and highest encouragement. Christ wants to be with you. He's returning to take you to be with him. This is his heart, and this is a beautiful display of his love. Being present with, with the people you love um, in this life can, can bring tremendous healing to a troubled heart. I, I've been married to my wife, Amy, for almost 23 years this summer. And when my heart's troubled, there is no one I want to be with more than her. I, I, I just like, uh, there is so many disasters in my life that have been avoided simply by a walk with Amy or a conversation. I, I, I love to be with my kids when I am, um, have a troubled heart. I, enduring friends have been a ministry to me, our staff, our elders, many others. Presence is powerful healing to a troubled heart. We know that. But this verse speaks of a reality infinitely more powerful to my troubled heart than any of those people individually or collectively together. Jesus is coming again, this passage says, to take me to himself that where he is, I may be also. That statement should stop you in your tracks. This is one of those moments in scripture when it was like a mic drop moment. It was, I can hear the pen hit the ground in the upper room. When, 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 our, when our mouth should hit the floor and our heart filled and emotions overwhelmed and expectation come over us and full stop. To, to sit in these words with our troubled heart is exactly what God would want. To, to, 
to see the, the words come off the page of Scripture, to, to see the fact that you're, you're looking not at words in a book, but you're looking at the living word, wanting through the illumination of the Spirit to speak to your heart specifically and exactly how you need it. And you can't in these moments in reading God's word rush to the next verse quickly. Our, our understanding of God's word needs to be such that, that when we get to these places, there is, a, there is an awe and a trembling that goes, I need this now. It, nothing, nothing, nothing can bring peace to your troubled heart more consistently and perfectly than the promised presence of Christ. Christ wants to be with you. So, so let's just review and then I'm gonna kind of apply this one step further to our hearts and give us some space. This is God's counsel for the troubled heart. Place, Christ has set aside a space for you. Permanence, Christ will never abandon you. Presence, Christ wants to be with you. Christ has prepared his people a permanent place in his presence. Now, the mistake that the mansion's confusion, like I've already spoken about, has caused people to see this passage as something that is in the future when the reality is, is that yes, it's going to be fully understood in the future, but it's for right now. Like, like, like this, should, this should make us go, what do you mean? Like, like, it's for right now. When we've demolished this mansion that our eyes can be on, we can see that the glory of Christ, the, the, the beauty and the power of, of what illuminates from what he's accomplished, the rays of that, of that guiding light extends to our life right now. So, so you've got to hear this counsel for right now what you're going through that you held as you came in here this morning. So you can do some things with, with this truth that's not just future-oriented. First, you can find a place to commune with Christ. To find a place in and through your days. This, this is why uh, we, 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 have to, we have to understand that, that what God is calling us to do in relationship with him is, not, is to set aside time daily to commune with Christ, and we need that time daily. Because, because each day has these troubles that come into our life and our heart. And, and so we need this time, and not just in one time. Yes, there can be some special quality time, but we need to understand that because of who Christ is and because he's in heaven, because he's given us his Holy Spirit, guess what? He's accessible anywhere. Some of you in the midst of your day, and regardless of what the work is that you're toiling under, need to sometimes just get your eyes off of earth and on to heaven and realize that Jesus wants to do some things to minister to your troubled heart before you do something that makes you realize I really needed to do that earlier. Then, second, affirm the consistency of Christ's love. We, we, we've, got to, we've got to rest consistently in God's love. Listen, God leads us through, through um, sometimes he leads us to the cross so he can form us. He leads us through things like guilt and shame. Those are good things that help us get to Jesus. We don't stay in those. We don't remain in those, but those are good things. But, but what God wants to do is give us to a place of security in his love, and his love leads us. His love corrects us. His love disciplines us. 
And, but I want you to know that in the midst of this, one of the things that's helped me affirm the consistency of Christ's love more than any others was a truth that got illust- it's illustrated throughout Scripture. And you see this, it's fundamental to God's grace and mercy. It's this. There is nothing that you can do to increase God's love for you. There's nothing you can do negatively that can decrease God's love for you, and there's nothing you can do positively that can increase God's love for you. Nothing, nothing changes the consistency of Christ's love for you. You can rest in that. You can rest in that. Affirm the consistency. It's never diminished. It's perfect and powerful. Affirm it over your troubles. Then this, finally, enter into the presence of Christ. Man, you're going to see this theme pressed in again and again and again throughout this entire passage. Remember, this is Jesus' parting words of what life should look like without Christ right there present like he was with the disciples and, and, and he's not present in the way he was with the disciples with us. Press more and more into the intimacy you can have in Christ. Learn more about his will and his ways and his wisdom for every aspect of your life. And, and, and understand that what God has invited you to right now is to bring your troubled heart into the throne room of God. He says in Hebrews, he says, come into the throne room of God and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you're troubled, that's when you understand your need. If, if you've got yourself in this place where you, you don't feel conviction or you've ignored it or you've walked away from it, guess what? You're not going to enter into the throne room of God anymore because you're not going to have need. Needy people, people who are honest with the trouble on their hearts, those are the ones who enter the throne room of God. Hope is rooted in these realities because what we're experiencing in this life is just a taste of what's to come. Think for a moment in your life about places where there's trouble or the way, we, the, way we, the way we term it in our world is anxiety. And learn to apply this counsel over and under and around anxiety. There's a part of having a troubled heart in this life that I've already illustrated is necessary and good and sometimes just really hard and unfortunate and not what you wanted. And into this place where we feel this trouble or anxiety, remember that Jesus has declared that there is a place that Christ has set aside a space for you. Begin to find a place to commune with Christ now and begin to allow it to give you an appetite and a desire for what's going to be fully realized in heaven. Realize in and around your trouble and anxiety that there's permanence, that Christ will never abandon you. Affirm the consistency of Christ's love and and presence that Christ wants to be with you right in the midst of your trouble, right in the midst of your rebellion, right in the midst of your brokenness. He wants to be with you. Enter into the presence of Christ. Christ has prepared his people a permanent place in his presence. I've said it again and again, and I'm going to continue to say it because I think into our culture, we need it so much, church. We, we have to receive these truths into our heart and life, and we have to sit in the stillness of that. 
So if you want, if you, if you would right now, just, just kind of set aside maybe the, uh, close your Bible and, and, and just kind of set aside the notes if you've been taking notes. And we're, we're back to the place we started with our hands. And maybe um, what I'd encourage you to do right now is just bow your heads if you need to and close your eyes if it helps you to focus on what God might be um, speaking to you specifically in this moment and, and maybe you just want to put your hands out in front of you as a as just a picture of, of this an illustration of this message and in one hand feel the weight of the struggle feel the weight of it it's welcomed in the house of God you don't have to hide it or be embarrassed about it God knows all of it anyways Feel the weight of it in one hand and in the other hand, feel the weight of God's truth that we've just talked about. And I want you in the stillness of this moment, and we're gonna give you some moments just to process quietly. I want you in faith to begin to take the weight of God's truth and apply it over and around the reality of the weight of your trouble. And I promise you, that the weight of God's truth is heavier than the trouble that's in your hand. Just begin to do that now and just begin to express that to God. Express your emotions and the struggle of it. Bring the truth to bear on that. Let's do that now in these moments. Let's give you space for that right now. Yes, God. This is what you prepared for us. This is God's saints entering into his temple. trouble that I hold in my hands and that troubles my heart, God, is, is just not as heavy. It's not as weighty as what you have done. 
God, that you've offered us a place. You've set aside a space for us now and eventually for eternity. You have given us permanence that you will never abandon us. And you want to be with us. Even when we're shaking, trembling with the, the reality of the trouble that we're facing, even when the, when the road is turned in a direction that we did not expect, even when the future is uncertain, even when our minds might wander to things that are uncertain, God, you keep us and hold us in this. Would you still our heart with these truths? Would you still our hearts? God, thank you. I ask that you would continue to lead us, God, and guide us and even as we sing this song now I pray that it would reflect our heart and our love for you but God continue to meet with us as we worship you it's in Jesus name Amen